The conversation we are having today is another very important one for our church community. Um, in this teaching series, we've learned a lot about singleness and divorce. And this week, we have the opportunity to address something that our leadership team and our pastors all felt was super necessary to address. So necessary that this is just part one of a two-part series on marriage. Um, next time, we'll take this conversation even further. And the reason our team felt like it was not only necessary, but also timely to talk about marriage and marriages that are struggling is because we often hear from married couples that things aren't going well. So as a church, as a, as a church community, I want to remind us that when one of us is hurting, we all hurt. And so for anyone who is single within our church, I'll say the same thing to you that we shared with married folks the last couple of weeks as we address singleness. When one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. And you may have friends or family members who desperately need your grace, wisdom, empathy, and love in the midst of their pain. So don't tune out if you feel like this may not apply to you because if you're part of this church family, then it absolutely does apply to you. You know, after the, uh, after the pandemic and the issues that arose, and, and for our sake today, specifically for married couples, it became evident that so many are crying out for help. Um, the disruption and anxiety and massive shift that came about because of the, of the pandemic caused the vow, the promise, the covenant of marriage that many partners made to one another, it caused it to feel like it no longer stood on solid ground. Unfortunately, we worship a God who is all about reconciliation and restoration, and our hope today is to begin the conversation that will move you toward health in your marriage as well as give you some resources in order to do so. But we're going to go about this a little bit different today. Instead of me just preaching a sermon about marriage as if I'm some marriage expert, I'm not. My wife will be the first to tell you that I'm not. Um, we also experienced significant struggles during the pandemic, and, and even still today, that we have to process and, and work through. So instead of me just talking... I'm beyond grateful that I get to sit down with Amy Sargent, Cornerstone's care director, care pastor, and a licensed marriage and family therapist to ask her advice and insight on uh, marriage and anything that she would want to offer for married folks who are struggling in their relationship. Uh, I'm going to ask her questions that our leadership team felt were, were really important for us to discuss. Um, for a little background, I hope you don't mind that I go into a little background of our, of our relationship. Amy and I met when she first started working at Cornerstone, but we, we really got to know each other on our recent Israel trip, our Cornerstone Israel trip this past fall, and she is someone that I've come to admire and respect and trust more than I could explain. Um, I'm thankful for her wisdom and her leadership within our church, the way that she's helped so many heal and grow, and the advice that she's willing to share with us today after 15 years of helping couples that are struggling. And she's going to share a lot. So get out a pen and paper or your cell phone or whatever you need to do to, to take notes and grab something from this message as you follow along. Try to, try to grab onto a couple things that really resonate and know that we also have resources for you. So with that said, sorry for the long introduction. <laughs> Amy, I'm so glad not only for for what you're going to teach all of us and what you're going to share with us today, but also for what I'm personally going to learn. I'm excited to take some notes down as well. Um, but before we get there, do you mind if I just pray over our time together before yeah, I start absolutely. throwing some questions your way? Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful. Um, like I said, that you are a God of restoration, of reconciliation. 
and we know that in our pain, that when one of us hurts, we all hurt, but also that you hurt, that you feel our pain with us, you're, um, you empathize with us, you, you walk with us, you, you guide us, you lead us, you direct us, and so God, our desire today is to do just that, to be led and directed and guided by you, to be surrendered to you and submitted to you, and to follow you as, as we learn what it might look like to find healing within our marriages. We love you, we adore you, we praise you, and we ask that you teach through us today. Um, and we pray all this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a super easy softball for you just to get us started. Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest obstacles in marriages? All right. <laughs> I think one of the biggest obstacles is even how we enter into marriage with our expectations that we go into it with. In a previous message, Becky and Aaron addressed the ways that as a culture, we've elevated marriage over singleness and have a belief that marriage is a big part of a successful life. Couple that with images in our mind or in media of what romance is supposed to look like, and it's no wonder we get disappointed if our expectations of what our relationship ends up being doesn't measure up what we thought it was going to be. If our partner is supposed to make us happy, and that's our expectation, and then what really happens is not that, then everything in between what we expected and what really happened is grief and loss and frustration. It's potential resentment. My husband and I joke that when we got married, we, before that, we were awful dancers. And all, as single people, all of our friends loved going dancing and wanted to go dancing all the time. And so we joked when we decided to get married that we would never have to dance again. And it was an easy explanation why we didn't have dancing at our wedding reception. Uh, but clearly, that wasn't the real reason that we got married. And honestly, 20 years into our marriage, or almost 20 years into marriage, I'm happy to say that I love him more now than the day we actually got married. Mm-hmm. And we, like a lot of other Christian people, ended up having 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7 read um, at our wedding. Those verses, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Mm. Now we know that this is a description of the way that Jesus loves and an example of how we're supposed to strive to love others. In marriage, yes, but in every relationship. And so each one of those things, though, that, that, that spells out takes work. Really quickly into our marriage, my husband and I realized how selfish we each were. We had to learn what dying to ourselves meant and sacrificing for our partner. Thankfully, that realization led to the belief that marriage is not a one-time choice. Mm. It's not a one-time thing, but a daily decision to choose to love and cherish and honor each other. So we had to learn self-denial, and it helped us grow into more loving, patient, and kind individuals. This meant that we actually had to look inward at ourselves to see what we could be doing different and practice that self-denial or to be more loving. I encourage you to listen today with that in mind, not to find validation of the ways that your partner needs to change, but to see what you personally can take away from this, regardless of your marital status or if you're in a romantic relationship at all. Remember, these verses are about how Jesus gives us an example of how to be in relationship with others. And Jesus was single. 
So as you listen today, I want you to think of what takeaway God might have for you. How can you become more of the person He created you to be? Or how can you become more loving to those around you? Hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I really hope Amanda's paying attention today. Oh, you said not to do that. Got it. Okay, my bad. Um, so, so I want to get into it a little bit more with you um, based on your experience and everything you've shared with people in the past and what you're seeing right now. What would you say that marriages need more of? Well, one thing I'd say is that we need to really hone in on verse 7. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mm. I think we need to protect our spouses and marriages and persevere more. I say that because a lack of commitment is the number one reason cited for marriages ending. I've seen this when counseling couples. As soon as divorce or separation is mentioned, partners are defensive. Their guard goes up and conflict grows. The mere mention of separation or divorce destroys the trust in the covenant of marriage. It's no longer believed to be forever, and there's danger, fear, and loss lurking. So real quick, I'm sorry to jump in here, but you're saying that even the mention of divorce automatically becomes a red flag where it's like, nope, we're not going to move forward. That's yeah. that's really interesting. It destroys that trust. Mm. And eventually, you know, the partners will, will feel that guardedness and look at each other and say things like, I never loved them, yeah. or we should have never got married. These are defensive statements. They're guarding their heart against their partner, and they're so destructive. As soon as someone in any situation feels threatened, they switch to fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mentality. This means partners lash out, walk away, feel stuck in a loveless marriage, or just go through the motions day to day without true connection. None of these choices are good or healthy. So the number one thing marriages need, besides God, mm -hmm. is commitment and perseverance, which means working through conflict, not avoiding it. Steve, you talked about this in a conversation with Alicia uh, about her experiences going through divorce, but I also want to take a moment to make this disclaimer. I am not advocating for people to stay in abusive relationships. Abuse is never God's plan, never His will for us. Abuse can be verbal, sexual, physical, any power and control over you financially or in other ways. Abuse is not okay, and we are not saying to stay in any relationship, marriage or otherwise, where you are being harmed. You are loved and valued highly in God's mind and should be treated the same by others. Anything less is not of God. Amen. I know we live in a fallen world, a sinful world, and I know there are plenty of abusive people in it. I know because I personally have been a victim of abuse. I know it's because of brokenness that people end up becoming abusers. This is not an excuse. It is simply true. But in order for healthy relationships to be able to take the place of abusive ones, healing needs to happen. Jesus can heal anyone of the trauma, neglect, abuse, or pain that you've gone through. I encourage any of you have, who have experienced any of this to seek help to get to a healthier place. Disclaimer done, we can get back to marriage. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And I think it's, like you said, we said it last time, but it's, it's so necessary to repeat that. Um, so th we just talked about what marriages need more of. I want to kind of go to the other side of it. What would you say marriages need less of? Sure. I, I just mentioned abuse, control, power issues, mm -hmm. um, lack of commitment. Uh, I'd also add infidelity. Should, that should not happen. And people will take that to mean physical affairs with people who are not their partners. Mm -hmm. 
but there's also emotional affairs too. If we're investing more time and energy into a relationship with someone other than our spouse, there's a possibility that person might be getting our devotion. The word devotion is defined as love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause, which means I could be devoted to lots of people beyond my spouse. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh, Genesis 2.24. I want to mention that as part of God's design in marriage. We're supposed to leave our family of origin. Some, peop some people in marriages have not yet done that. They prioritize their family of origin rather than their spouse. For others, a best friend or a group of friends or a cause might seem more important to them than their spouse. Yeah, that reminds me so much of just the first year of Amanda's in my marriage. I think there, you talk, the, the, the way that you spelled out devotion is so necessary and so important for us to hold on to. And, I, and I'm really grateful for you sharing that because it wasn't necessarily with a, a group of people, but it was with my work. Like I devoted everything to my job uh, at the time. And Amanda's in my first year of marriage. I was the middle school pastor, high school pastor, college pastor at our, at our church. And I also decided, you know what would be a really good thing to do with my free time is to coach varsity football um, for the local high school, which is just a brilliant idea. Um, and this was during the first year of our marriage. Any free time I had was spent hanging out with students or volunteers, um, writing sermons, or watching film for the football games. And, and again, this was as a newlywed. So when people ask Amanda how her first year of marriage went, uh, she always says, I'm not sure. I never saw him. Like, I just wasn't around. I was devoted to all those other things, and they took priority over my partner. Yeah, and those are all good things. Mm -hmm. And they're good things to do for you. And that's one thing that can happen is that this might happen innocently enough. The angriest I have ever been with my partner is when he made a commitment to a friend of his not to share something with me. First, if you do that, do not tell your partner that you're intentionally keeping them from them something, right? That's just super frustrating for your partner to know that. Uh, but the it's like, reason I, I got a secret and you can't know it. <laughs> exactly, like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Don't tell him that. <laughs> but the reason it angered me was that he, in essence, had made a covenant with that friend. And I felt like he was honoring his covenant with that friend above being one with me, between the covenant of, of what he had with me. It felt like he placed his friend above me or in between us, and that he had to come, something came between us, and that there was something he couldn't keep from me, that he had to keep from me because of someone else. Mm -hmm. So we agreed at that time that if someone asks us to not share something with our partner, then we'll let that person know in advance if we can to just, we don't keep secrets from each other. And so if a friend doesn't want us to know something or my partner to know something, it's best for that friend to just keep it to themselves. Now, as a therapist and having to keep what my clients tell me confidential, you might think that there's a double standard, especially because I take confidentiality so seriously that I don't talk about anything my clients say to my spouse. So there's definitely things that I don't tell him. But the difference is my integrity to the profession that prohibits me from sharing with him. It's not a person who comes between me and my partner. He and I still get to be that one flesh. Mm. At our wedding ceremony, we lit a unity candle. Perhaps some of you did as well. If you're not familiar with this practice, the setup is two smaller individual candles and a larger candle in the middle. Couples generally take the individual candles, which represents them each as an individual, and they'll together light the larger candle, which represents the union. It symbolizes the two becoming one flash. 
Most couples then take those individual candles and blow them out. But I felt strongly then, and still do now, that you cannot extinguish the individual candles. Each of us still remains an individual and still combine to be part of that one flesh, that couple. I had so many friends, though, that as soon as they got married, they disappeared from my life. It's as if they had only been friends with me until they had a spouse. I felt like a place filler. I felt a bit used and discarded sometimes. It seemed as if they expected their partner to be everything for them, and they let go of their friendships as a result. And that is also not healthy to do in relationships. Speaking of unhealthy relationships, there's an expert who can, within a few minutes of meeting a couple, predict whether their marriage will succeed or fail. It's totally crazy. His name is John Gottman, and he's a well-respected psychologist and professor. He studied thousands of couples through decades to determine what helps and hurts relationships. His findings were what he calls four deadly horsemen in relationships. And his prediction is that if any one of those things exists regularly in a relationship, it is likely to lead to and end in divorce. The four things are criticism of their partner's personality, contempt, which is usually due to a feeling of superiority over your partner, defensiveness, and stonewalling, which is emotional withdrawal from your partner. These can be some red flags in your relationship. However, my hope, actually mine and every other therapist and pastor's hope, is that you can seek wise counsel long before these things settle into place. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I have so many thoughts based on what you just said. Um, one, I love the distinction you made between your, your practice and your relationship. And, and I'm sure you and your husband had to like go through the, the conversations to figure out where that line is drawn for you guys. Um, I also love what you shared about the unity candle. That's one thing I tell couples when I do their, their weddings that I'm not going to do, just because I do mostly outside weddings. And there's nothing worse than saying, this is to symbolize your undying love for one another, and then the wind blows it out. It's like, oh man, um, you guys are in trouble. But I love what you just said about criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Like, I, I can point for me to times where I've done each of these things in the last week with Amanda. And, and I'm grateful to know that there's at least a structure or some things to be aware of for me personally as and things that I can look at so that I can recognize if they're becoming patterns or not. Mm -hmm. like, like I love that you said whether we're gonna settle into those things. So, um, and I think those are things that, that make marriages struggle. Mm -hmm. So a question to, to kind of go along with that, what would you say helps struggling marriages heal? Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest thing that heals marriages and helps people have healthy relationships in general is to have a healthy self-awareness and good communication skills. So self-awareness means that you know who you are, your character, your mm -hmm. feelings, your motives and desires, and how these things influence your behaviors. We understand th the things that shape our values and beliefs and can communicate these things to people we're in a relationship with. Let me give you an example. Early on in my marriage, my husband and I were talking about something we both felt strongly about. Honestly, I don't even remember what it was about because we agreed on the topic. But when I feel strongly about something, I start to raise my voice, both in intensity and I talk louder. I was in the middle of expressing my thoughts and my husband stopped me to ask why we were fighting. I looked at him in shock and said, we're not fighting, I'm just passionate about the subject. The difference was our family of origins. 
I was raised in a family of yellers. Maybe some of you can relate. We yelled about everything in our family. So a raised voice was nothing unexpected for me. In fact, by my family of origin standards, I wasn't even yelling at my spouse. <laughs> but he grew up in a quiet home where yelling was not normal. So he interpreted my slightly elevated voice in animation as me yelling at him. We learned that whenever I get passionate about something, one of us will take a moment to clarify that I'm not upset with him. My raised voice is my response to whatever is exciting or frustrating me. By the way, I asked him if he remembered what it was that we were discussing uh, it's when we discovered this difference. And his response was that it could have been any number of things because I often get enthusiastic in conversation, <laughs> which is really funny to me because he's so emotionally consistent and stable. But it made me think back to the dynamic that I learned about this first, about myself in the, in the first place. I was in high school and I had a fight with my best friend who happened to me at she was my only friend at that time, and so I actually wanted to stay friends with her. <laughs> so we went to the guidance counselor to try to work, it, work through that conflict. The guidance counselor heard both of our stories and looked at my friend and said, when she's upset, she's like a little scared bunny. And when I'm upset, I'm like a roaring lion. And that was one of my first opportunities to become self-aware, of learning how my actions impacted those I care about and it helped me grow as a person to be able to have healthier friendships and relationships. That self-awareness would be ideal to have in all relationships, for each person to know themselves well enough to be able to articulate about any potential differences, but in a calm manner. Hmm. That leads to the second thing that helps marriages heal, which is healthy communication. Hmm. There are, these, there are two skills when people come in for counseling that they really need to learn. So if they're struggling in their marriage, they need to learn these two things. One is active listening, and one is reflective listening. But notice how both are listening. Mm -hmm. So active listening means paying attention to your partner. Listening to them without judging and without trying to figure out what you're going to say next or how to solve their problem. It's being patient and trying to figure out how your partner's feeling about that topic that they're sharing about. Hmm. So you're, you're saying then, like when my wife sends me a super long text message that I shouldn't respond by saying, that was too long, I didn't read it, but I hope everything works out for you, that's great, or I'm sorry, whichever one fits. Like, I shouldn't do that anymore? You, you definitely okay, shouldn't do okay. that. That's good to know. Uh, and maybe it means that Amanda <laughs> might be like me. She's an external processor <laughs> because we like to share a lot of information because that's how we think about things. And internal processors find that challenging because they think inside their heads and prefer succinct communication. But the key to active listening is to really hear your partner and try to understand their feelings, not jump ahead or mm -hmm. cut them off uh, or solve the problem. Uh, the second li listening skill is reflective listening. So it's, it's essentially active listening, but adding to that a summary of what your partner shared to make sure that you understood them fully. The way this looks is that one person will share, and then their partner repeats back or reflects back to them a summary of what they heard them share. And then they check in to see if they got that right. If they missed anything, the partner who initially shared can refine or add or expand to what they were expressing. And then you continue this exercise until the person who's sharing feels fully understood. Mm -hmm. Granted, just because you're understood does not mean your partner will agree with you. Mm -hmm. The point is to feel heard. And once you both understand each other, you may be able to resolve the conflict in a way that avoids staying stuck in a stalemate. 
I do want to throw in the caveat that while you're sharing, you should be using I language. This means you're sharing what is true for you. I feel sad we don't have family time after dinner. Rather than expressing blame or criticism, you always work too much or you prioritize work over our family. Instead, the I language takes away the blame and it expresses your feelings and your views on things. Don't forget that both partners get to share as well. Communication is not one-sided, but the goal for your communication should be to find out how to work together and working towards forgiveness and a solution together. Notice it'll take work, though. This means that you can't avoid talking about things. You need to push through in a way to let go of frustration and resentments that are built over time. You need to dismantle any old narratives that you tell yourself about your partner, like he always or she never. Mm -hmm. Those absolutes make you continue to look for that evidence against them. So you have to rewrite a new script. In order to do so, you have to consciously make the choice to change it and look for evidence of that change. Sometimes if you feel stuck, it might be best to recruit an unbiased third party, like a therapist, a counselor, or a pastor to help you get unstuck. Hmm. Yeah, so you just, I just want to like kind of recap, there's so much good stuff in what you just said. Um, Self-awareness, communication, that I, that I statement thing, that's going to be revolutionary for me and my marriage. And so thank you for that. I think that's so necessary to lead with that. But you also just mentioned an unbiased third party. And I want to dig into that and, and ask a follow-up question to that. How do we know when to seek counseling? <laughs> The answer is always. Okay. <laughs> um, this doesn't have to mean professional counseling, though. Uh, but there are so many verses in the Bible that refer to seeking wise counsel. The model of healthy individuals and healthy relationships is to be wholly integrated individuals living in authentic community. This means we'll have to change the way that we do things in our individualistic society. We don't share with people what's really going on in our marriages until the struggle is too much for us to handle on our own. But by that point, those negative patterns are so deeply ingrained that they're harder to change. How much healthier and better it would be for us to be vulnerable and real in our community and let those people share wisdom and insights that will help us grow into more loving individuals that God designed us to be. Picture it. You could be authentically known, loved, and supported by a group of people who you do life with and who know you and love you, both as individuals and as a couple. These people you respect and trust can speak words of encouragement and accountability to both of your lives. This helps you both become more loving, generous, kind, gentle with everyone you encounter, including your spouse. Imagine the impact that would have on the health of your marriage. I always say that if Christian community was done really well, then we wouldn't need professional counselors or therapists. Oh, amen. Yeah, I mean, we keep coming back to this value of community because it's so essential. And, and I know, and this is true, I know that we've got folks watching in Brentwood, Walnut Creek, San Ramon Valley, Livermore, Hayward, and then all over the world um, right now. And regardless of where you are, we believe this is essential. And I know we also believe that we can get to the type of, Christi of Christian community that you just described. Um, but even still, conflict in relationships happen. Mm -hmm. So, next question, what does conflict resolution look like 
in a healthy relationship? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Um, and I want to start with the definition of conflict resolution because it's the process of ending a dispute and reaching an agreement that satisfies all parties involved. So if you're fighting, then you're not actually trying to resolve conflict. You're trying to win or be right, which means you and your partner are against each other. Mm. Conflict happens in any relationship, but fighting should not. Let me explain that a little more. The definition of conflict is a serious disagreement, argument, or struggle resulting from needs, drives, wishes, or demands that are not compatible. So if you can discuss the disagreements and differences, what's causing the conflict in a way that's not against each other, rather as partners trying to work through it together, then couples do not have to fight. Mm. But in order to do this, you need to be emotionally intelligent, what therapists will call having a high EQ. This means that you are fully in control of your emotions and are fully aware that nobody can make you feel a particular way. Someone may say or do something that may trigger an emotion inside of you, but you are the only one in control of your emotions. Emotionally mature people understand that emotions are communicating something important, which is why we feel them and we need to listen to them, but emotions do not dictate our response. We still have a choice in how we behave. Having this maturity makes it much easier to share with our partner what bothers us and why it bothers us. Emotionally intelligent people also have the ability to empathize with their partner, which is keeps them able to more fully understand the other point, person's point of view. So this is how you would have healthy conflict in a healthy marriage. The disagreement can be talked about without blaming, without judging your partner, and in a calm manner. Both parties can communicate their thoughts and feel heard and understood. Both parties are looking for solutions and ways to resolve the conflict in a loving way. Most importantly, both parties are also looking to determine God's best for them and their partner. What is the most loving thing to do here? Yeah, that's, that's like we say around Cornerstone a lot, that question, what does love require? Which is the best question for any situation in life. But also, I don't know if I can think of a better question for anyone who's in a relationship to be asking constantly. Like what, it, it moves to self-awareness and communication. Like what does love require of me in this moment? And if you can keep that mentality, then the conflict might naturally resolve or a compromise, compromise might become more evident um, or agreeing to disagree even feels less threatening because you more fully understand each other and trust that that disagreement, that one disagreement is not a threat to your marriage. Mm -hmm. And having differences doesn't mean that you don't love each other. You, you've been able to communicate and express yourself and your opposing views in a loving way and remain on the same side as your partner, not against them. Yeah, that reminds me so much of something my dad told me right before I got married. He said, Steve, the goal in your relationship, in your marriage, is not compromise, it's collaboration. Mm. And he said this because he wanted me to be on the same page as Amanda, that we would work with one another and, and collaborate and be together and always be on the same side. And, and I, that's always stuck with me because my, my dad really wants his kids to have a healthy marriage, healthy relationships. And that's what we desire at Cornerstone as well for anyone that is a part of our community and, and even beyond our community. So last question for you. I know I've asked a lot and you've shared a lot. Thank you so, mu so much. Um, what does a what does a healthy marriage, in your opinion, what is, or based on your experience, what does a healthy marriage look like? Yeah, um, 
I'd say there's really no picture-perfect marriage. Mm, nice. <laughs> However, if each person knows themselves and accepts themselves and is emotionally responsible, that goes a long way to being able to have healthy relationships, including marriage. Mm. Additionally, these people know and accept their partner as they are. They can set and maintain clear boundaries and expectations using good communication skills. Healthy couples support each other and work together to resolve conflict. And when mistakes happen, they can take responsibility and ownership and apologize, and both parties have that desire to forgive. There's a book I'd recommend called The Five Languages of Apology by Gary Chapman that helps you understand how to work towards forgiveness. He also has another good book called The Five Love Languages, which can be another great tool for you as a couple. The premise of the book is that we all love and want to be loved in a way that we call our primary love language. We generally show people love in the way that we also want to receive it. Sometimes we need to learn a different way of expressing love if our partner has a different love language than we do. The five love languages Chapman describes in the book are quality time, uh, gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation or encouragement, and physical touch. Once you know what types of things fill your love tank, then you can communicate that to your partner. And when you know your partner's love language, then you know how to show them love in a way that they will actually feel it as love. I'd encourage you to do something loving each day or multiple times a day for your partner to be able to fill their love tank. So healthy marriages are ones where partners show each other love, where they seek to understand, not just be understood. Partners are kind and generous with each other, using please and thank you and talking with respect. They don't talk negatively about their partner or to their face or behind their back. Uh, each partner tries to do what is best for their marriage, prioritizing it and looking for ways that they can be selfless and forgiving for the greater good of the relationship. That's essentially what those verses in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians are teaching us. It means that the blueprint for healthy relationships is to become more like Jesus. Amen. As we become more loving and kind and gentle, then we start relating to people in those ways. That also means that through our partner, we can experience a glimpse of what Jesus' love for us is like. In the healthiest marriages, we get to be Jesus for our partner. But those verses aren't just for marriage. It's for all of us, regardless of our marital status. Hmm. Yeah, it's so well put. And, and you just gave us a couple resources there. You've given us a lot to think about. Like I said in the beginning, uh, you have a lot to share with us. And you had a lot to share with us. Fifteen years of experience and wisdom all boiled down to a 30-ish minute conversation. So we, we did our best there. But um, sorry, I do. I lied earlier. I do have one more follow-up question. I'm sorry. Um, so I guess this is the last question. Um, can you give us some next steps for couples? Like, where do we go from here? Well, I hope I did distilled the 15 years in 30 minutes, 30th <laughs> minutes, um, down to a few practical things that you could also do. So I'd actually encourage you to go back and watch us online again and use the conversation guide and notes that accompany the message to glean some more out of it. Uh, you can also contact me. You can send me my email address will be on the screen. You can send me an email. I will send you a summary of this message as well. If you're open to reading books, the books that I mentioned today are The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, The Five Languages of Apology by him as well, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. There's a few more books I'd recommend, Sacred Marriage, and I love the subtitle, What If God Designed Marriage to Make Us Holy More Than to Make Us Happy? Mm. 
by Gary Thomas. There's The Meaning of Marriage and Loveology. Uh, it, but if books aren't for you, I'd recommend working on communication, especially listening skills. Many pastors and counselors can help that, with that if you need guidance. There's multiple retreats around the world and classes that you can take as well. Uh, and in fact, we'll be holding one at Livermore about, it's called the Marriage Survival Training. It'll be in June. So if you're local, I'd suggest that you sign up for it. A quick note to anyone who is not yet married as well, that we offer premarital mentoring that would be hugely beneficial to couples, uh, especially before making that start. It helps you open up that door for authentic community, which can help your marriage even from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Whether you're married or not though, if you're new to the idea of self-awareness, again, this is important to have any kind of healthy relationship, I'd recommend starting with some personality inventories. A couple of very popular ones is the Myers-Briggs type indicator. This is where we get extrovert and introvert, uh, along with other things. But that one can tell you how you best operate. And then there's one called the Enneagram. And this is great for learning how you operate with other people, how you mm -hmm. function with others in relationship. Yeah, those are all so good. And they've been not only helpful for me and Amanda's relationship, but just connecting with other people and figuring out kind of what makes them tick. And uh, Amy, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you're a part of our church community, that you're leading and guiding and pastoring here. Um, we are grateful for you. And I know that you meant everything you said. If, if you have something that you want to reach out to Amy about, let her know. Or reach out and um, we just want to be here to help um, and move people toward healing. Again, this is just part one. I really hope you join us for part two of our conversation about a picture-perfect marriage. And I'm praying that you were able to grab onto something today that will be useful for you in your marriage or really any relationships in your life. Um, Amy, will you pray for us? Absolutely. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for anything that we can learn and grow, take away from this so that we can become more the person that you designed us to be originally. Mm -hmm. And Lord, let us do whatever healing or self-awareness that we need to do to be able to be in healthy relationships with people so that we can be part of that authentic community that you're calling us into. Uh, Lord, let us become more loving and kind to all we encounter, including our spouses. And I pray that you will just allow uh, that to be the forefront of our mind, mm -hmm. how we can be most loving and what yeah. is the most loving thing to do. And I pray that you are just continually putting that on our heart. And I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Love you all.